The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 60, for July 3rd, 2006. Greetings, everybody. It's Dave and John from the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, and we're here for yet another edition. How are you, John? I'm kind of disoriented. Are you? Well, yeah, it's daylight out. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm used to working for the man right now. That's right. Yeah, you get the, But, but you get, I, I did, like many people, I did the, uh, the four-day weekend option because I got all this vacation I got to take, so... Apparently, I'm too much of a slave driver because none of our uh, our little ventures here have the day off. So, Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, but that's all right. I get to podcast during the day, which is fun. So that's good. And it means we yes. can all go and enjoy fireworks tonight because, of course, today is the 3rd of July. And in the U.S., that means it's part of our extended holiday weekend of, of uh, well, the beginning of summer, really, is, is what it has become. Of course, it means a whole lot more than that in our nation's history, obviously. But... Uh, we're it's celebrating summer. Yeah. our independence from the, the man. The man. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we have so much to talk about here. We've got uh, kind of went through the mailbag and cleaned out all the stuff about uh, we've got raid, some HDTV things, a swap sort of all over the place. And then there's actually some stuff that's come up over the last couple of days uh, since we prepared the agenda that we're going to have to somehow try and fit in. So... Yeah. Yeah, we got fireworks tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've got fireworks uh, constantly, I think. There's some tonight. There's some tomorrow night. There's some, I don't know, whatever. Well, let, uh, Jamie did send us a cool thing, though, that uh, kind of fit into our raid discussion that I wanted to uh, to include here. And what it is, is uh, Jamie writes, he wrote it via email. He didn't send it in as an audio comment, but that's Okay. Just listen to your latest show. I was inspired to send you this little raid snippet. As you're both true geeks, I know you will really appreciate this. I did. Some guys have linked 13 USB floppy drives and raided them using hubs in an Apple iBook. And they call it the Mega Floppy. And there's a link to it in the show notes. Of course, Michael will probably have put a link here by now in the uh, enhanced feed. Very, very cool. Uh, did you check this thing out, John? <laughs> Not yet. Oh, apparently these guys, they, they were cleaning I out. I ask myself, why? Well, because they were cleaning out a closet and found a ton of these little raid, uh, or these little USB floppy drives and thought, you oh, know, man. yeah. So, uh, And then Doug actually had something to say about an HDTV uh, discussion. So. Hey, guys, it's uh, Doug from Connecticut uh, driving into work. Um, I'm on my Bluetooth, so I'm uh, got both hands on a wheel, so I'll let oh, you know. Oh, boy. Good. Anyway, uh, you had a listener call. In the last show, asking about TiVo, and then he also asked about any uh, HD TV solutions for the Mac. I'm sure you've gotten quite a few responses from other people, but I'm going to give you my sense too. <laughs> um, other than being an IT geek, I love HD TV, and I drive my wife crazy with it. But I have a uh, ITV 500 hooked up to my Power Mac G5 FireWire external interface, and it has two interfaces on it, and one is for standard cable, and the other is for over-the-air HD TV broadcast. But, and here's a nice but, if you live in Connecticut, well, if you live in an area that broadcasts uh, high definition over standard cable, and you hook up the standard cable to the second interface rather than just a normal antenna going to an aerial, I'm able to decode uh, unencrypted QAM signals, which for me gives me about 20 to 30 HDTV quality broadcast uh, channels. 
So I'm able to use it as a PBR, record, um, you know, PBS, NBC, ABC, anything broadcast in HD. The files are big, um, about an hour, I think it's supposed to get. Wow. So you got a lot of storage space required for that. But it's a good solution, and um, uh, Elgato also makes another uh, product that ties into it called iHome, which will then stream that to any type of uh, device that can um, decode those signals on your network. So I'm getting a link player from uh, IO Media, which can take those signals and let me stream it out to my plasma. So a lot of good stuff going on, and it does support... Um, the ITV does support HTTP to a point. I mean, uh, hopefully Comcast is going to encrypt everything one of these days to stop it. But right now I'm able to do a lot with it. So it's a good solution, and it should work for that user who might be interested in it. Okay, guys, see you later. Bye-bye. Thanks, Doug. I'm not sure if the iHome will do the HD, though, right? I mean, I think I think uh, from what I understand, I think it just connects to standard com- uh, composite ports. Is that right? Is that right, John? Speak to me. All right. I don't have one. Well, yeah, there you go. Maybe we need to get one and play with it. You don't have HD yet, so maybe it's time for you to uh, to experiment with this. We'll put you in touch with those people at iHome yeah, I'm, and have I'm, you play. I'm, I'm looking at some of the... Uh, every now and then when I'm in the local uh, warehouse store, I mm-hmm. take pictures of whatever they have there just so I can research it online and see if it's something I want. I'm still concerned about getting decent quality with a non-HD signal. I think that's still a, that, it's so an important. issue. Yeah. That, that's why we wound up choosing the, the Panasonic plasma that that, uh, that you saw when you were here. Very, very important, yeah. folks, because there there is quite a bit of stuff, obviously, that's not HD. Um, and if you're going with, you know, a large screen, even 42 or or bigger, it, you don't want something that's just going to stretch the, uh, the standard def signal and not do any enhancements to it because it can look pretty crummy, so... Uh, yeah. Did you Have you run into this? I, I looked this up. He, he mentioned QAM. I haven't. Are, are you familiar? No. Okay, I looked it up. It seems to be a modulation scheme for okay. a digital cable, but but he was saying that, and I'm wondering if there's like a QAM type of file you can save to. It uh, kind of sounded like that. I don't know, but anyways, huh. I, I was just wondering if, uh, just a question, because yeah. I haven't looked at, you know, the uh, what your options are for saving stuff when it's uh, when it's digital. Yeah, so, I, I, I I kind of assumed that each uh, each bit of software would save it. In its own proprietary format, but you maybe maybe it's just saving it as MPEGs, right? I mean, it's possible, right? Possible. It should be. All right. Well, we gotta we gotta dig more into that. That's uh, that we shall do. In in the meantime, we'll help Josh with his issue because I know it's one that's plagued. Well, certainly it's plagued both of us and Josh. So th- there's a mm-hmm. there's a quorum right there. Hi guys, this is Josh calling from Shanghai, China. I have a quick question with. Um, Safari. I've been having trouble with Safari and reading PDFs ever since I loaded, um, ever since I installed Adobe Acrobat Reader. I used to just read PDFs through um, Preview or right in right in Safari. Actually, I'm running Tiger. But then after I installed Adobe Acrobat Reader, it now uh, pops up a dialog box anytime I click on a PDF link, and it says, "Please select an Adobe Acrobat or Adobe Reader application to use." And I really don't want to use Adobe Reader, so I just hit cancel. And then after that, it print. It looks like it's loading in a PDF, but nothing actually shows in the window. And so what I have to do now, anytime I want to see a PDF, I have to right-click on it and then choose Download Linked File. And I wasn't sure if there's a way that I can uh, keep Adobe Reader on my computer, but then be able to use the regular built-in preview 
application for Safari anytime I want to actually view a PDF in Safari. Uh, so if they have any, if you have any advice for how to handle this, then that would be great. Thanks a lot. You want to take that one, John? I'll start. Good. Because there's a lot behind this. It, uh, um, the first thing you may want to do for, for people to wonder just what's happening in the background here and why is this weird thing happening? If you go to Safari and you go to the help menu and you look at installed plugins, um, this is going to be where, where you can start solving this type of problem, but it also gives you some insight into why a browser does what it does. You will see on when you make this choice in Safari, you'll see on the left, MIME type. MIME is multi-purpose internet media extensions, I think. Ooh, but it's basically go. okay. But it's basically a way to uh, add a code to a piece of media so the browser knows what to do with it. It's useful for email. Email programs use it. Browsers use it. A lot of things use it to, to kind of get a hint as to what to do with a piece of data. Like, for example, a graphic file will have a MIME type of like image slash GIF, for example, or JPEG or, or whatever. And, and mime um, type, what, and mime type, just just so you know, is actually set by the sending server, right? It it it's not yes. set. It's not set on your computer. It, it you could have a list of mime types, but as far as data coming into the browser, it's set by the sending server. So even if the yes. file is just called test and it doesn't say test.pdf or test.doc, if somehow the server on the other end knows what it is, it will send the mime type. Now, usually it's mm. done. Usually the servers assign it based on file extensions, but uh, but it's certainly possible to, to do it other ways. So the, moving along. Right. So a PDF file in this case, now, now I don't know, the, but I think you may have another part of this answer here. But what happens okay. is when you, so a PDF file has a type of application slash PDF, I mm -hmm. believe. Now what will happen is if there is a plugin that handles that MIME type, the plugin in Safari will grab it. Now what happens is when you install the Acrobat Reader, um, I'm pretty sure it's an option in the installer to do this, or it may... It's uh, not uh, an option. <laughs> I th it's I think not it an just, option. I think it just you happens. You can't do a detailed install? Okay, well, that's bad. Well, because, it, it, yeah, um, there's, there's ways of turning it on and off, but... Okay, because I, I haven't I'm installed this sure. for a while. Yeah. Um, an installer could, I don't know if theirs does, give you the ability to say, please do not install an internet plugin. Um, but it sounds like... What happened is that an internet plugin was installed, and what that does is overrides the default behavior, which seems to be to launch the preview app. Correct. So what happens now, you're launching um, the uh, plugin that then hands it off to the Acrobat reader, which it sounds like uh, some people may not want that. So what you can do is, look if you look at this list of plugins, you will see one here, and I'll look a little farther down. It will be the uh, uh, Adobe Acrobat and Reader plugin. And that is the thing that handles application slash PDF, but it also tells you the name of the file, Adobe PDF Viewer.plugin. Hey, you know, boy, what? A, how can we find where that is? Oh, we can use Spotlight. So if you use Spotlight and you search for that file name, you will see it's in, I believe it's slash library slash internet plugins. So if yep. you look in there, you will see, oh, Adobe PDF Viewer.plugin. So, if you don't want, I, I think you probably want to quit Safari first. If you don't want it to use this plugin to view PDFs, uh, I think something creates a disabled plugins in there, so you could drag it there for safekeeping or just get rid of it. Yep. And then the next time you start up uh, Safari, well, well, anytime you start up almost any browser, it'll first look in its plugins folder right. to see what types of data it should be prepared to handle. Uh, so the next time you start it up, if that's not there, then whatever used to handle it before. And I'm unclear 
what maps that, but uh, that, that's a that's a, a WebKit thing, I, I believe, a, an Apple WebKit thing that that maps PDFs to open either just in applications, any app, you know, Safari, even third parties like Yojimbo will open PDFs, and I'm pretty sure they're just using WebKit to to go ahead and do that translation and, and display it. it. It's a service of the OS, and by having the Acrobat plugin there, it. Safari says, oh, well, something else is supposed to handle this, so I'm not even going to ask the OS to do it. I'll just you know, pass it along to this, this plug-in, and, and away it goes. And you're right. Removing it from that folder will do it. But I believe there's even a more official way, um, or, or, or at least a, uh, a, a, more, a more planned way. I think in Acrobat Reader, if you go to Preferences from the Adobe Reader menu and go to Internet from the list, there is an option that says Display PDF. In browser, and so if you uncheck that, then it will not use the Acrobat plugin anymore. I'm not sure actually if that just just removes it from the uh, from the plugins folder or not. I would assume it does because the browser otherwise wouldn't know what to do. So that's the uh, that's two answers for for the same thing. But but it it was a nice little what a tour. Deal. What's that? What a deal! Two answers for one mm-hmm. question. I mean it. Yeah, but but no, but I, I like your your description there because it. Kind of lets us troubleshoot other things as well, and gives some, yes, so gives make some a note of insight. What, yeah, so make a note of what you see in there because I saw some things actually I didn't expect. Like I saw a DRM plugin. Um, QuickTime could be another cause of handling where you don't want it. QuickTime handles a lot of different stuff. Yep. Um, but I think through the QuickTime preferences, you can set. You can turn those on and off. That's right. Yeah, because it handles a lot of things. And th- this is a headache on Windows especially. I mean, a lot of Windows people have probably seen this, especially if you're using multiple browsers. They'll all kind of come up and say, hey, you want me to be the default? Hey, you want me to be the default? Hey, you want that's right. yeah. And, uh, and, this- and that, that's actually a, a good point there. This folder is used not just by Safari, but it's also used by Firefox and, and any other browser. It, it is where system-wide plugins are, are installed. So if you if you have some plugin for say you know shockwave or, or or windows media or whatever it is put it in there and all the browsers should in theory take uh, take advantage of it you don't need to have it in multiple places like the old days with os9 mm-hmm. right there you go there you go i uh, have an add-on uh, what's that gonna... well there is something called have you used this thing lately uh default app or rc default app no, you, you mentioned it before, it. yeah. Yeah, I'm taking a look at the latest version, and I think that's something that may also let you change mappings, not not because uh, okay. that is kind of primitive, doing yeah. it through the browser and playing yeah. with stuff in that folder, though that's where it is. Um, yeah. I think this... Uh, and I think Dia, anyways, I'll look over this and Dia Blotten do or whatever, whatever it was, right? Dia Blotten was the, uh, the, another one that... <clears throat> another app that would let you do that. So, All right, but Bob had a question related to Safari, so here we go. Hi, John and Dave. Bob here from Santa Barbara, California. I have a Safari question. I used to be able to type an address in the search area on top of Safari. I could just type the domain name, like uh, MacGeekGab, and click Return or Enter, and Safari would put in the proper .com, or if there wasn't one, .org or whatever. At least it would get the .com. Now, I can't do that. I always have to at least type .com or .org or whatever it is, um, this happened after the JavaScript update a few weeks ago, and I wondered if there was some connection or if there's some file I can throw away to reset Safari. I've cleared my history. I don't really um, 
know what else to do. Um, cash, cookies. Anyway, uh, appreciate your thoughts on that matter. Thank you. You don't need to send us cash or cookies. We're we're happy to just do this because we. I was uh, going to say it. I wanted the cookies. <laughs> okay. I don't have it. I'm out of cookies now. <laughs> um, I, I've actually run into this problem before, and uh, it, where I've run into it is in various hotels and that sort of thing. And so it leads me to believe that this issue is DNS related. Um, something with the DNS servers in certain places. Now, maybe your provider changed their DNS server, or maybe you changed it uh, in your either your router or right there on your Mac. And it's looking for something that's not letting it get to the next stage of what Safari does, where if it fails a DNS lookup, it appends a .com and does another DNS lookup and then appeals, appeals uh, ads a .net or a .org. Uh, and I believe it's in that order that it will start uh, doing its 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 relookups. I think there's something happening with DNS that's that's stopping it from doing the next things. I, I though I may be I may be missing something, and there may be uh, a, a a way of turning this setting off in Safari. I, I'm not aware of that. John, are you? Uh, do you have any any further insight on this? Um, you know, there's one thing I will mention here. I, I think this this is part of this. Um, Search domains, when you configure your TCP IP, right. I believe that is a place where you can manually tack on some... Uh, That's true. Yep. ...some things to look for, and depending on the machine you're on, and, and you know, I've run into to this as well at my 9 to 5, there is a suffix that's assumed but doesn't always work because some people are pointing to old DNS servers, right. so it doesn't tack on the, the part that's the usual company domain. Right. Um, so it could be that somebody manually set up and it always tacks it on the end. Uh, I think that's one option. And, yep. and as you pointed out, the uh, DNS configuration, depending on which ones you're, are, are those hard coded or you know are they done through DHCP and are they being done properly? Yep. Uh, um, what, what John's talking about is if you go into System Preferences and go to the Network uh, Preference pane, they're, they're on the TCP. I pick your connection, whatever it is, Ethernet, airport, dial up. Once you dig one level deeper in there, you'll see the five tabs, typically five, maybe four, depending on what kind of connection it is. And the first tab is always TCP IP. Search domains is one of the options right there. And it usually, unless you know that you should be putting something in there, it should be blank. Yeah. However, if, if, you, if you're having this exact problem that Bob talks about, try putting com, comma, net, comma, org there. And uh, and see if then Safari figures it out. The only issue with doing that here is that this is a system-wide thing. So it it's not just going to impact Safari. It's going to impact everything. So anytime you do a DNS lookup that fails, it's then going to also check .com, .net, .org for, for everything. That may or may not be what you uh, what you intended. Yeah. I'm not too happy with – well, I thought I mentioned it because it's interesting. But, yeah, it, I can't remember the last time I ever had had to use it. If you use it, if you I, have to use it, then something's not set up right somewhere else. <laughs> well, yeah, that or or you're using it on an on an internal network. I mean, here at, at the house, I actually have a DNS server set up. This is in the this was all set up in the pre Bonjour Rendezvous days, um, and and so I'd just set up a a, a local uh, subnet here with DNS names, and I just called it internal dot network, and it works fine. But mm-hmm. but so I I manually mapped it to that. Or I manually put that in search domains. But that hasn't impacted Safari from being able to do its .com, .net, .org lookups. 
Um, I'm sure if I had misconfigured our DNS server here, then it probably would because it would stop it in its tracks. So perhaps that's what's going on. Maybe, maybe, maybe Bob's issue is something is in there and he simply needs to take it out. So who knows? But I don't. But maybe if Bob shares more about his setup, if that doesn't doesn't fix it, we can uh, we can dig a little deeper there, right? Wonder if it has a hosts now. <laughs> That's very old. Yeah, it could hosts be that file. Yeah, there's a yeah there's a, there's another thing called a host file, but hosts would do something different um, in, in the old days, and I think you can st- you can still do it. It's slash etsy slash hosts uh, with OS ten. Although you depending on e- with every rev of the OS, they keep moving that around because it, it's all really related to what NetInfo does. Um, no, it's there. It's there, but it, it there's not the, a lot in there. The OS doesn't in there. The OS doesn't always pay attention to the changes to that file. Yeah. So what host does is it allows you to assign manual names, domain names to IP addresses. So if you had set up computers in your house and uh, you wanted to call one of them, you know, iMac and one of them PowerBook, let's say. But this was pre Bonjour, pre uh, Rendezvous. And and it wasn't just something that happened automatically. Uh, it, and instead of connecting, when you did file sharing, instead of connecting to an IP address, you know, 192.168.1.101 or whatever, you just manually map that in your host file to, you say, you know, iMac and then a tab. and Or I guess it's uh, put the IP address first. So you put 192.168.1.101 and then a tab and then iMac. And once that was in the host file, and this works on Windows, it worked on OS 9, and it kind of sort of works with OS 10, depending on how uh, NetInfo is set up. It will then, if you say, connect me to iMac, bam, it knows, yep, it doesn't even do a DNS lookup. It looks at that host file first and foremost and says, yep, I know where that is. Good to go. So, But that, I don't think that would impact what Bob's doing, unless that host file had some horribly malformed entries in it. But usually mm-hmm. the, usually the OS would, would just ignore those, but... Uh, I guess it's possible. Who knows? Luke knows something about swap files that he wanted to tell us about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, fellas. My name is Neil. I'm in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm calling about the swap partition. Sorry, maybe this is Neil. I talked about, I think, in episode 51. There is a program out there called SwapCop, and it's available on Version Tracker. Um, You have to have a, a drive available or a partition available, but it'll allow you to move your swap file from one partition to another, uh, reboot, and delete the old partition while leaving the swap file in a new partition. So you don't actually have to do any terminal work. Uh, just done through the swap cop. It's pretty cool. I've used it several times myself. I like it. Um, performance improvements, uh, I can't say yes or no to that, but I do like the idea of having a start my swap in a different place. Um, I do that quite a bit on Windows machines that I work with. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sorry about getting your name wrong, but uh, thanks for sending that That in, That was Neil, right? That was Neil, correct. Yeah. And uh, that sounds like a good way of of experimenting if you you choose to try your swap on a different drive. Um, You know, if you've got a slow drive in your your, uh, main machine, be it a a laptop or or a... uh, you know, even an older desktop with a, a slow drive in it, you may see some some performance improvements. If, however, you disconnect that drive while the machine is running live, well, oops. yeah, it's a pretty big oops. I think it'll probably, you may get lucky and it may not crater, but it'll probably crater. So, crater. Crater. That's right. Yeah. 
And I can imagine, especially if you have it on a different interface. Correct. Then I could see how, though some interfaces I think can, you know, multitask as far as, yeah. you know, dealing with two drives, but it's yeah. not like half speed right. to either one. Right. But I could see that. But but yeah, I I, I want to try that just to see what will happen if the swap file is all of a sudden gone. Well, the, you know, the benefit <laughs> is that you'd be running swap on a presumably if you if you did it on a on an empty partition you'd be running swap mm-hmm. on an unfragmented drive and that mm-hmm. that could make a difference I, the system tries to grab unfragmented space for yeah. swap on your boot drive but if there isn't any if you're someone who you know constantly is filling and moving things around in your boot drive there may simply not be gigs and gigs of unfragmented space yeah so well, it's fighting with everything else yeah you know i've seen this on on my powerbook especially there are times when I'm convinced what's happening is it's it's having a big problem with swap, and and I see through our you know pal menu meters, yeah. both the the read and the write will be on, and also this uh, PowerBook G4 has relatively slow hard drive. So sometimes I'll see it do that, yep. and I'm like, what are you doing? I think that's what it's doing is it's uh, managing you know, doing swap. Some swap and yeah. doing some other deals, and and you know it brings the system to a halt sometimes so i know something's happening because menu meter shows me that basically the drive is reading and writing and right. it's like okay let me wait until you're done yeah 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 and that, and and you know we'll, we'll plug menu meters yet again but uh it it is a good way of knowing a little bit more about what your system's doing sometimes like john just said there's nothing you can do but wait but it it is helpful to know that, yeah, now's one of those times where I just got to chill out and let my computer do whatever it's doing. And, and then it'll, you know, when it's done, you can tell that it's done and, and you move on. And that's that. That's why I used to like drive lights. Um, but it's, yeah. it seems like those are those have gone the way of the dinosaurs. So. And, you know, I'm going to offer a, a I would imagine that there's probably more than one case where, say, somebody's running into this situation where, you know, the, 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 the computer is doing some heavy swap activity yep where somebody's like you know what the computer's not responding let me shut it off i i would say that that's probably one of the worst times to just pull the plug you want to remove you want to remove power you know hold down the power button which i think on pretty much every computer out there every portable yep five seconds on the power button Um, i don't know if we ever mentioned that that that's kind of a it's actually yeah that's a good little aside that's right a lot um, of people don't realize that if your computer and i've had uh, on both uh macs and pcs you hold down yeah, at least on the Dells that I have, if you hold down the power button for about five to ten seconds, yep. that's shut down now. <laughs> yeah, it and it and it and and though, like John said, it's not necessarily recommended to do that. If the machine's locked up, it's way better to do it that way than to yank the power cord out of the back, uh, because when you do that, it kills power to the drive instantly. Whereas if you tell it to shut down, at least the power supply, at least the motherboard is then shutting things down. And and I've seen it where people, you know, say, oh, yeah, when I have a problem, I just yank the power cord out of the back. And it's great until, you know, they cause irreparable damage to their hard drive or, or something. And then that's it. Because remember, there's grounding that happens with that power supply, too. And if you pull the power cord out, you, you stand a chance of arcing something and, you know, letting the magic smoke out. So that's... Uh, not not a good that's not good smoke to let out magic smoke oh yeah. you know that's what, the magic what makes smoke. That's what it's makes the it. thing that makes computers and electronics work that's because right. when they don't work when you let the magic smoke out it stops working so i assume that that's what uh, the stuff that makes it work right <laughs> uh, but yeah another thing i do and, and yep. some people look at me oddly when i do this is sometimes 
listen to see if the hard drive's doing anything. Yeah. A lot of times if your system looks dead, I'll, you know, put my ear to the keyboard where the hard drive is, you know, hidden there somewhere. And if I hear it chattering or, or doing something on the hard drive, I'm like, okay, I'll believe that the computer is actually working on yep, something that's and right. not ground to a halt. It's, it's, uh, it's good to get the your... drive light should do that. And, and I'm with Dave that, you know, lights, you know, blinking lights are, are good. Yeah. Tell me what, what, what the heck the machine is doing. I used to like my modem lights too, back in the, back in the day, but I got over that a while ago too. So mm-hmm. <sighs> it doesn't so, mean that I wouldn't like them back though. So, and maybe that's why I'm so obsessed with menu meters because I, I grew up with computers that had drive lights and, and, you know, modem lights and all that. So there was a lot, a lot more visual confirmation that the computer was doing something as opposed to just a spinning beach ball, which, you know, who knows what, whatever that means. It's almost like cars, you know, I mean, for a while there though, I think on some high end, uh, you know, vehicles, you don't have this problem, but it's like check engine. It's like, thanks. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's there. Yeah. You don't get, you don't get temperature sensors. You don't get, you know, RPM indicator. You get check engine. It's like, well, does it need oil or, you know, do I need to run screaming from the car? You know, don't know. Check the engine. I want a tack. I want an ammeter. I want, right. you know, I want, I want nice analog cages. And, and I've yeah. seen that on yeah. uh, a lot of cars. Um, hey, did you see that thing anyways, Stuart, huh? that thing Stuart sent us where uh, the folks at creative Mac have done uh, a series of benchmarks with the 13 uh, inch MacBook compared to the MacBook pro and, and older power books. Yeah. You know, it struck me. I, I thought my, uh, you know, my G five here, dual G five was fast, but uh, yeah, Apparently, on quite a few tasks, except for one, there was one task where I think the MacBook Pro really pigged, and I don't know why. Um, pig being it went very slow. But other than that, yeah, I looked at the uh, the review, and it gives you a good feel for the... Uh, There's not a, stands. not a whole lot of difference uh, between the, the MacBook Pro and the MacBook, you know. Uh, from what this guy found, right? I mean, did you see any? Did you see anything that? Uh... No, they were very, very close. Yeah. I mean, well, essentially, as we we commented before, I mean, many of the components are are pretty much the same. There's not as uh, you know yeah. big like you know the bus speed and and things like that that or the cache that used to be uh, you know one differentiator between right. the uh, the two lines now. It, it, you know, and, and, and as we commented too, it was surprising they didn't do the uh, single versus dual. Yeah, uh, but yeah. hey, it's good good for everybody. Everybody gets dual processors or dual core. Dual core, yeah. Which which for a lot of what goes on is effectively the same. Uh, just just having another core to pass off tasks to makes a big difference. I I noticed that as soon as I got my my dual uh, my dual G four, the one that I actually use now for the for the podcast here. It, even yeah. when even when both processors weren't pegged, even when it wasn't using mm-hmm. all of the CPU power, just simply having that other CPU to do something at the same time, it made a difference, especially with, you know, just finder mm-hmm. operations and overall general snappiness, if you will. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's some people difference. that would howl at what you said about, you know, a dual core being the same as two That's separate. I believe yeah, they I share cash. And they that, do. Right. So it's. It's more than one, but less than two. Correct. Let's say that. Correct. Well, and it's a, it yeah, it's another core. It's not yeah, it's, right. It's not a completely separate processor. Absolutely. Um, now I did notice. Yeah, it was um, compressor two point one. One of the benchmarks. This is the only thing that jumped out at me. Test three. If this is correct. Yeah. yeah. 
The G5 was five, you know, five and a half minutes. The 15 inch MacBook Pro was nine minutes. Yeah, and he seemed to think that there was a, 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 a the the firmware updates that that didn't uh, hadn't been yeah hadn't been put out there yet uh, when he did the initial MacBook Pro test. That I think were that was his assumption was that was the yeah. uh, that was the issue there. Yeah, because it, it doesn't impressive. make sense otherwise. You're right. But to um, you know that performance because uh, you know for those that do have uh, a G5 desktop, yeah. um, there's some pretty mighty heat sinks in there. Yeah, yeah. which you're not going to get in a portable. No. <laughs> so I think it's pretty much you know it's the you know this is about the same performance as a G5, but yep. uh, in a, a nice portable form factor, which it, you know I think is one reason why Steve wanted to go over to Intel. It could be, yeah. That's right. Could be. I, I'm sure that. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, I'm. I'm. Uh, I, since I missed this, I, I figured I might as well mention it. You know, I I took the, the Amtrak again on on Thursday to do. A, actually, did a round trip from, from oh. here to to New York and back on Thursday. And I was on the train, and I'd noticed this issue here at my desk before, but hadn't really paid attention to it, uh, and certainly missed all the articles that were written about it, and there were plenty. Uh, the, I have obviously one of the first round of, of MacBook Pros that came off the off the assembly line, and I'm on the train and I you started using the battery and it said I had you know like three hours left. I thought, oh, this is killer. And, and there's a plug right there, but I thought, well, you know what? It's good to let the battery run down, and I got some time, so I'll just let it go. And uh, and so down and down went the battery, and it got to about the 66 percent mark, and then all of a sudden the computer just shut off. Like, oh, it wasn't no warning, no nothing. I pushed the button on the back of the battery, you know, to see it, what the what the status is. Zilch, yeah. nothing. So really, yeah. So I reached into my bag and I got the power adapter. I plugged it in and fired the thing back up, and instantly it said that it was at sixty six percent. So I flipped it over and pushed the button, or I didn't even have to because since it was charging, it showed me, and it had three out of five lights on. I thought, okay, well, wait a minute. What's going on here? So I didn't want to mess with it anymore on the train. Uh, I did let it charge itself back up while I was working. And I tested it on my desk here when I got back on Friday. And same thing, right? It get, gets to that 66% mark and dies. I did it like three times. And finally, I called Apple. And uh, I you know, and I hadn't put Apple Care on this. And I'm just outside of the 90 days. And, and the guy's like, well, you know, tell me what's going on. But, I, you know, I, I have to get your credit card for phone support. And then if it turns out to be hardware, it's free. You, you know, the same kind of thing. And uh, so I said, that's, that's fine. I said, let me tell you what's going on. I told him, I said, I've troubleshot this. I'm convinced it's the battery. And he said, what's the serial number on the battery? And so I took the battery out and I read it to him. It was started 6N606. And uh, he's like, yeah, you, you've, got a, uh, you've got a faulty battery. He's like, give us your address. We'll, uh, you know, we'll send you a new one right away. And uh, so I did some searching. Ow. Yeah, I did some searching. Apparently. So you didn't have to say, do you know who I am? No, I did not. Uh, I'm sure he. I'm sure he knew. I'm sure he listens to the podcast and knew my voice. No, apparently, so it was the the power status deal in the battery then. No, it was. I my or, my assumption based on my knowledge of how batteries are are created is that and and this is a a, a known issue. It's a quote unquote silent recall uh, of of all these batteries, at least according to what I've read in in the press. And this, I mean, this has been. This probably happened two months ago that all these reports came out, and I just happened to miss them. Uh-huh. Um, batteries have multiple cells in them, right? And so I right. think the problem is that there's a bad cell or at least a bad connection to one of the cells in the battery. And when it goes you know, to use that one, it, that's it. It's over. So, uh, hmm. yeah, my, I'm, I'm almost certain it's a bad cell. Or a bad connection to the cell. So, but anyway, my new battery, my new battery arrived this morning. So, 
we're in good wow. shape. Yeah. You know, I have to think about that, thinking if you put either things in series or parallel. Yeah. yeah. Because I know there is a chip inside of the battery that basically says, hey, this is how much I got left. Right, right. And right. if that doesn't match reality, correct? Maybe that was it. It no, was saying no, 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 no. Was it's, it saying sixty six? And you think it was really zero? No, no. It was it was sixty six if all the cells were good. Yeah, yeah. Because hmm. because it, it hadn't been running long enough to get down to to zero. You know, it was it was doing what I would have expected it to do. And all the reports, yeah, all I, the reports I read indicated the same okay. kind of thing. So. Yeah, I'd like to rip one apart and see what's going on there. But hey, well, they I can sell you so this you gotta, one for if I give it to you, you have to give me 121 bucks because that's what Apple will bill me if I don't send it back to them. Uh, you want it? No, no, no. In the, in the interest of uh, you know science. <laughs> <laughs> no, but hey, they uh, you know no hassle. Though they didn't active. Did you register your product? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Huh. So it's not maybe it's not a large enough scale recall because I know they've had them. Well, in the remember, past. They, there's no. It, they may not know what what serial number battery I have just based on mm. the serial number of my PowerBook or my MacBook rather Pro rather. Ah. That mm. uh, I think that that could potentially be the issue. They may you know I don't know that they have any way of knowing at all what what sort of battery uh, what sort of battery I have. Yep. Right. All right. right, we've got we've got this question about uh, this, this printer sharing thing keeps coming up, and I wanted to uh, see if we could see if we could address this quick. Hey, John and Dave, I'm listening to your uh, Mac Geek Gab 55, and you're talking about printers, and I just wanted to uh, throw another monkey in the wrench. I have a Canon Pixma IP6600D, which we just bought recently, and I hooked it up to my wife's G4 Mini via USB, and uh, it saw everything just fine. It had all the printing options that you would expect, and I shared it. And then on my system, which was a Corduo Mac Mini, viewing it as a shared printer, I only got a subset of the options. So I couldn't do a lot of things like set the quality and, and look at some of the color options and so forth. So what I wound up doing, and I had, and I downloaded the newest drivers from Canon. I upgraded them. I completely wiped out the original drivers and, and installed. I mean, I, I did several things trying to combat this problem. What I finally wound up doing was I finally hooked it up to my computer and via USB and then shared it to hers, and hers had only the subset. But in this case, when I downloaded the new drivers, the updated drivers to her computer and installed them, all of a sudden she had the full set of, of printing options. So for some reason, when I connect it to my printer, I'm sorry, my computer via USB and share it to hers, even though we have the identical drivers, she can see the full set of options viewing it as a shared printer. But if I view it as a shared printer and not connected directly via USB, I only get a subset. So now we're both happy now that it's connected to mine and sharing to hers, but it's kind of weird. Um, I've never seen anything like this. I haven't really had a lot of experience with, um, well, this is the first time I've ever bought a new printer and tried to share it on two Macs. So that was my experience. Lots of fun. Take care. Talk. Well, that certainly is strange. Uh, but what I did hear, John, is that his wife is running a G4 Mini and he's running mm. an Intel Mini. Is it possible that the Canon drivers, though may appear to be the same, are different? You know, USB printer, right? Canon, I mean, the, the drivers have got to be written for the platform. So, is it possible that uh, that even you know even though they they look to be the same, 
we're running two different two different pieces of software there, and it just so happens that they're interacting differently. Eureka! You think that's it? <laughs> well, seeing as how like the software updates, which we uh, we just got a got another one the other. That's day. right, ten four seven. Yeah, have uh, you know Intel and uh, yep. PowerPC versions. Uh, and I do remember that that was one thing brought up when, when people were talking about mm-hmm. the uh, migration is that low-level device drivers in all likelihood would have to be rewritten yeah. uh, for the new platform. They would not go through the uh, emulation That's right. yeah. environment. Uh, Rosetta. The, the other things will, uh, when you start wrapping with the hardware at a low level, then you, you got to recode it. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's, a, that's a good one. It's, it's still annoying how you you get different levels of functionality yeah whether you're uh, directly connected or trying to share over the network or wireless or whatever that's right you know again mm. as we've as we've mentioned with this remember these printers are not the printer itself isn't doing the sharing it's the os that's doing the sharing so there's a whole nother level of integration that either exists or doesn't exist depending on a lot of factors. One of them is simply luck. And then the other is, did the application vendor bother to go and spend the time to, to test it this way? And, and if they found something that was not consistent, did they bother to fix it this way? Uh, and, and we don't know the answers to any of that. You know, it may simply be luck allows you to use it one way and not the other. Um, and that's just kind of one of those one of those things. You know, you, you can only expect the manufacturers to test it to a given point. Uh, beyond that, whatever capability you decide to add, you know, just like the similar thing with our cable modems, right? You know, or our DSL, they say, look, here's your, mm-hmm. your cable modem. You get one IP, it's DHCP, you know, dynamically assigned and good to go. Now they don't, they, they, in fact, it's a policy that you are even allowed to put a router on there and share it. They don't care. Uh, it used to be that they cared and, and they would come and, you know, try and t- bust you, but, but now they don't care. They realize that it doesn't matter, but they're not going to support your router, you know, even and the router, you know, may or the router company, you know, Linksys or whoever you buy it from may or may not support, uh, you know, any wackiness mm-hmm. that goes on with your cable company. You know, so it's it's one of those things where the kind of the onus falls on on you. But that's why we're here. However, why are we, we here? <laughs> I don't know. We didn't really have an answer for him. So maybe uh, maybe that's not why we're here. You know, John, there were a lot of. uh uh, some news popped up this uh, this weekend, as I'm sure you saw, because our email boxes got filled with this stuff, where uh, some of these folks are telling us that, that there's... A, did you see the CNET article about cell phones? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're saying that... Uh, and the article said a couple of interesting things. One was that they, they did some tests. Now, I guess these tests they did aren't weren't recent, but uh, but whatever. They're publishing the results either again or... Or anew, and uh, they said basically that that driving and talking on a cell phone impaired people to the same level as uh, driving while drunk, or maybe even more so. And drunk too at what a point oh eight, I think uh, alcohol level is that is that mm-hmm. what it was? Um, which I thought was very interesting, and, and obviously it dovetails right into the conversation that we've sort of been dancing around here and. Since we've gotten, we've actually gotten a ton of emails about this, so we might as well make this a, one of our recurring themes here. I'd love to hear you folks chime in on this because it it's a fascinating thing. Obviously, you know, John and I are both very passionate about our our thoughts here, and I think part of that passion, you know, John, at least from from my standpoint, is well, you know, if I can't talk, I, I've just become so used to 
being able to to hold a conversation in the car that you know heaven forbid they take that you know that liberty away from me right but if it's proven that this is dangerous to others well you know maybe maybe it does need to be taken away right mm-hmm. right maybe there should be a test Maybe there should be – well, yeah, but then but what's that mean? I mean, should there also be a test for how well you're able to drive drunk, right? I mean, <laughs> that's that's not really – Well, that, that's really already there. I, the, that test down. is already there, I think. But No, I think they should have – we should have constant monitoring of all vehicle uh, operations. Like I saw the other day, and there was someone definitely was on the phone. So okay. driving the, uh, you know uh, – monstrosity suv uh you know mm-hmm. on the highway and all of a sudden you know i'm kind of behind them say following distance all of a sudden sure. they slow down for no reason i'm like hmm gee you know i wonder what's going on <laughs> pull around them you know look over my shoulder which yep. is one point people brought up which i always do because you got a blind spot look over yep. your shoulder before Absolutely. you and you signal and i look and the person's yapping on the cell phone yeah um a little later, then they started paying attention. They overtook me, and then I saw them do something which caused another SUV to swerve because this person basically, because they were yakking on the phone, they couldn't look in their blind spot. They basically, and of course, they didn't use the turn signal, just of kind of meandered over into a spot where there was already another vehicle, which had to swerve. If they didn't swerve, there would have been a catastrophe, and I may not be here. Wow. And I'm just looking. I'm like, this is a perfect example. Now, it's one in a thousand, ten thousand, a million. Yep, that's but right. this is definitely right. due to someone not being able to handle maneuvering this monstrosity and having another hand. And maybe there were kids in the back that they were screaming sure. at. Who knows? Sure. There's, just yep. too, there, there's a point where, and I think you're okay in this, there, there's a point where there's too much going on. That's right. There's too much stimulus. There's too much yep. happening. Yep. You and know, it's, get it's, rid of one of them. You you could either, you know, jettison the kids. Or, <laughs> wow. Uh, <no>. Wow. <laughs> Want to talk or, on the phone? Jettison your children. <laughs> New ejector seats from Acme Corp. You know. I would dig that. that ejector seat with, with like a parachute or something? Oh. If the parents just get too occupied with talking on the phone and driving, <laughs> you, you get shot home. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Whatever happened to the Jetsons? We, we just missed out on a lot wow. of that good stuff. Remember they had that bubble. For, yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, Elroy. for the kids, yeah, right? Yeah. For Elroy, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the one interesting thing that this article said actually it said a couple of interesting things. Now, of course, this is one study, and I'm I'm always suspect of studies, even if they, uh, you know, even if the results mm-hmm. are 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 something that you know falls in line with my own beliefs or wishes or whatever. Is that studies are rarely commissioned by someone <clears throat> who really has no interest. In, in the outcome being one way or another, right? I mean, there's, there's, it, it's all, it's nearly impossible to do something like this and do it with no bias going in. But you know, we'll, so, but we'll, that being said, we'll, we'll take it at face value. So it said that it didn't matter the, the way they did the test. They did it both with and without people using handsets or headsets rather, and they said it didn't matter. It was more the distraction of the conversation. Exactly what you were saying before. Uh, that that was the issue. What they also said was that it was the same level of distraction caused by talking to someone in the passenger seat as it was by talking on the cell yeah. phone. Same thing. So That goes against what, my instinct and right. I think your instinct, or at least my instinct was no, it might, yeah. the person there can, uh, it's different than a you know, person that's not there at all. Right, right. But they're saying it was, it was the same. So, 
which which actually to me makes sense. You know that it, that it should conversation's a conversation, and and that's that. So mm-hmm. the issue is, yes, there are all these distractions. What what they haven't done, of course, is or maybe they have. But they certainly haven't made a big deal out of it. Is how much distraction comes from futzing with the radio, right? How much distraction comes from, uh, you know, turning the wipers on and off? How much distraction comes from simply driving in the rain, right? You know, there's all these things. Where do we? The, the real question is, you know, okay, we know that there are these things that, to one degree or another, distract us. Alcohol impairment is something that you know has at least you know democratically anyway been been agreed that yes, this is you know an issue. We cannot have people driving under the influence of a certain amount of alcohol. Where, where do we draw the line for the rest of this stuff? I mean, do we say, no, you can't have an iPod in the, in the car, right? Because an iPod connected to a cord plugged into your, you know, your mm-hmm. cassette deck or whatever. I mean, I know, frankly, I get more distracted with the iPod than I do with, uh, with a cell phone. You know, once you're in the conversation, or at least for me, once I'm in the conversation, it's not a distraction. I always wear a headset because it's just easier for me. It's more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can have two hands free to actually drive the vehicle. But what do you do with, uh, you know, with the uh, the folks that are using an iPod? When I'm navigating through playlists and the kids are saying, oh, pick this song or if I want to hear a certain song, I, I there's a lot of distraction should, there. I think you should teach the kids to do that for their for their own. You, you know what? It, the kids have actually started doing it. Skylar's totally, yeah. at, totally at home with the iPod. Yeah. You but say, if I'm alone in the music. car. Yeah, yeah. Who do you think I am? Come on. I'm operating this. Vehicle, I can't do this for you. So share your uh, share your thoughts with us. We would uh, we would absolutely love to hear what you have to say on this and anything else we discussed. But I don't think we're going to be here next week because I don't think the t- technology oh. exists to allow us to do a show. I'm I'm at the lake from Saturday to Saturday, and uh, oh, the lake. They don't have internet at the lake. Do they? Actually, I've been told that they have some sort of satellite high speed thing, but I don't. I don't know, man. So we may. It may be two weeks. So we let this show go a little extra long. You can savor it, or uh, or simply enjoy having a week where we don't uh, burst ourselves into your home via your aggregator. <laughs> Don't forget to go to uh, Portable Media Expo in September. You've downloaded this from Cashfly Hosting. And if you want to sponsor us, call the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Cool new programs with this podcast marketplace you do not want to miss. That's that. Yeah. Uh, that's it, right? Send your uh, send your stuff to us at uh, MacGeekGab at MacObserver.com. Skype it to MacGeekGab. What's the phone number, John? Uh, um, ah, you're killing me. Geek. Two oh six 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 six. Geek. Got it. Thanks, folks. Have a great Fourth of July tomorrow. If you're hearing this on the third, <sighs> don't get caught.